If you watch the news this week or watch it for the last 10 days, I think you might agree with me when I say this. This world needs hope. Amen. This world needs saving. Amen. And with all of the bad news, this world needs good news. Would anyone say amen? amen. Praise God. We have good news. Amen. Jesus has come. And he is changing lives and saving souls and transforming lives in churches like this all over the world. Would anyone say amen? amen. Isn't that good news? Amen. It's good news. And God is good. When is he good? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you know what? I have to say, if I, when I get a promotion, God, I never got a promotion. <laughs> if I ever get, or when I hear somebody getting a promotion, God is good. When we get a financial breakthrough, God is good. Amen. And when I lose my job, God is good. Amen. Am I going to lose my job? That's kind of up to you, like. I hope you're not planning anything on me. I hope you're not planning anything. I'll tell you about how the world, the world needs hope. I want to talk this morning about the Messiah and me. And the Messiah was the hope of the Jews. They were hoping, the Israelites were hoping for the Messiah to come and rescue them. And it's a curious thing. The experience that they were having is very like the experience that people living in Ukraine are having today. Their experience was that they were under the oppression of a brutal military machine. They had a ruthless and powerful occupying force. The most ruthless and powerful occupying force up to that time in history, the Roman Empire occupied their lands. And the Roman Emperor was a brutal dictator. He was a despot in every sense of the word. He ruled with violence. The sword was the law. And that was it. A bit like the experience of many people in Ukraine today. It's very, very current. But you know what? Do you know what the Bible says? There is nothing new under the sun. There have always been despots. There have always been dictators. There have always been brutal dictatorships. There have always been oppressive and ruthless empires that have ruled people. But God is still good. Amen? Amen. I want to look this morning at a guy in the Bible. I'm going to look at the story of a guy called John. You'll be familiar with him, I'm sure, when we get to those scriptures. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, you should be familiar with this guy. His name is John. I'm going to be looking at Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 20 to 28. Because I think his experience can actually be a lot like our experience. In this story, the Messiah is the Messiah. And the me, while it is John, is also me. How do I relate? How do I connect to the Messiah? What does it mean for God to be alive in my life? What does it mean for me to say the Messiah has come? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? And how has that worked out in our lives? I don't want to overdo it. I'm conscious of the time already. We're already um, trailing a little bit in time, so I'm going to fire into it as quickly as I can. I'm going to read the piece from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Verses 20 to 28. I'm actually not even going to read as far as 20 to 28. I'm actually going to read a little bit less than that. And I'm going to read directly from my Bible. I've said it before. I'll say it again. This is my Bible. I read it most days. I can't say I read it every day. But over the 365 days a year, I probably read 360 for that, for the, there, thereabouts. Um, but I'm going to read from the scriptures because it's God's word. And God's word has power. Would anyone say amen? amen. So I'm going to read these few verses, but do you know I'm going to ask you to do? I'm going to ask you to stand as I read these few verses. And then we'll, re we'll recover them again, and we'll look at them again. We're picking up the story after Jesus has raised the widow's son at name. The disciples 
of John the baptizer told John about everything that Jesus was doing. And so John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and they said to him, John the baptizer sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases and their illnesses and the evil spirits. And he restored the sight to many who were blind. And then he told John's disciples, go back and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured. The deaf hear and the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. May God bless us as we study his word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take our seats, brothers and sisters. Here's the context. I talked about this the last time I was speaking in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. And it was about the raising of the widow's son at Nain. And if you had been there, it was a day that you would never forget for the rest of your life. When this dead boy was raised from death back to life and given back to his mother. You would never have forgotten it. And here's what the scripture records towards the end of that story. Imagine you were in the crowd. It says this, a great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us, referring to Jesus, and God has visited his people today. And then it goes on to say this, the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding area and the surrounding countryside. News about Jesus is beginning to spread. This is kind of near the start of Jesus' ministry. He's still very popular. He hasn't gotten himself into hot water yet with a lot of the religious authorities. He's very popular. And so the message about Jesus and all that Jesus is doing is beginning to make waves around the place. That's the context into which we're speaking. And word spreads everywhere. It gets everywhere. And it even makes it its way as far as a prison. A prison called Macarus. Now Macarus was a prison fortress that was on the far side, on the east side of the Dead Sea. And it was a fortress where Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, had his great fortress. And the interesting thing about it is that this guy was as brutal and as violent as his father, Herod the Great, had been. If you want to know the nice things that Herod the Great did, he was responsible for the massacre of the innocents in Bethlehem after Jesus was born. So that's the stock, that's the DNA that Herod Antipas comes from. And they ruled with violence and they ruled with brutality. And now we have in this prison, news reaches a certain guy who's in prison. News gets to a guy called John, as we've just read. The disciples of John the baptizer told John about everything he was doing. Now before you say, my Bible says John the Baptist, that's fine. I just don't want us being confused with the people who are meeting in the church just up the street. We are Christians, we're all Christians. John, if you look at it in the Greek, I don't know why they translate it as Baptist, because it says baptizer in the Greek. That was his job. That's how you knew which John this was. They told you told John about everything that Jesus was doing, the healings, the miracles, the feedings, all the stuff he was doing gets back to John. Now before we go on, I want to say this. John who? Who exactly 
is John. It's a confusing thing because the name John was very common in the Bible. We have several Johns in the New Testament alone. There are several Johns. So we want to single out who this John is. This is John the Baptizer. Now, if you come to Ireland from overseas, you notice a preponderance of certain names, or there's a lot of one or two kinds of names in Ireland. I happen to have one of them. One of them is Michael, or commonly known around Ireland, Mick. Mick or Mike. I prefer Mike. Don't call me Mick or I'll knock your teeth out. Anyway. <laughs> but Mick. No, I amen. <laughs> I had several cousins called Michael. I had an uncle called Michael. My mother had a cousin called Michael and a great-grandparent called Michael. So when you came into my house and said, Michael, everybody turned, you see. I even had a brother whose second name is Michael. Christopher Michael is my brother's, is my brother's name. And my, one particular uncle, and so you had to define which Michael was which. I called to somebody's door recently, and as I was at the door, the child answered the door, opened the door and said, ran back in and said, Ma'am, Mike is here. And he said, Mike, what Mike? They said, Mike the pastor. She said, ah, well, I know who he is now. <laughs> and I had an uncle, actually, I shouldn't be saying this live, but I had an uncle who was Uncle Michael. And he had a nickname to discern, to, to differentiate him from all the other Micks. His name was Mick. He was known as Mick. And he was known as Midnight Mick. <laughs> now, and you go, oh, that's a strange name. Why was he called Midnight Mick? Midnight Mick had never married and he didn't have any children, and he totally made up his own work schedule. So literally, and I kid you not, Mick would decide at midnight to replace the engine in a car or in a boat as he worked in afterwards. He worked in boats. So he was known as Midnight Mick. I remember even as a child, a knock on the door several times but through, through my childhood at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning when my uncle Midnight Mick was at the door saying, is Con there at all? I have a question about him, about some engine or something that they were doing. He was like, what? What are you doing this hour of the night? And he would sit across the street. This is, this is true. He would sit across the street and wait all night for my father to get up. My father was going into work at 7 o'clock in the morning. He'd wait all night across the street, under the street like with a torch, reading a book about parts of a car. <laughs> I've been nothing better to be doing with your life, Mick. But that was midnight, Mick, and it discerned him. So if you want to know, you come in here, there's several Toms. Is there only one Tom here? You're so only special. One only one special. Yeah. Well, I remember in Grace Church at one stage, there was about nine Michaels. There was about nine Michaels. So you have to discern which is. So this was John the Baptizer. Bear with me. John was the son, the miracle son of Elizabeth and Zechariah. An angel appeared to announce that, that Elizabeth was going to have a baby. He appeared to Zechariah and said, this is God's plan. And this child is going to grow up and he's going to be great in the power of the Lord. And he is going to go before the Messiah. And so when John grows up, and by the way, he was Jesus' cousin as well. He grows up and he, he goes before the people and he begins to announce that Jesus is the Messiah. And what does he say? He says, this is Jesus the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. On another occasion he said, this Jesus is the Messiah. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize with fire. And he says, he's the guy who's coming along and he's placed the axe at the root of the tree and he's going to burn up the chaff with everlasting fire. That's what they said. He said, John said, he is so great that I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his shoes. And then when Jesus came to him to be baptized, John said, I shouldn't be baptized. I should be baptized by you, not you by me. And Jesus said, no, this is how it has to be. So he baptizes Jesus. And then when he comes up, he hears the voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. He also saw the Holy Spirit ascend and alight on Jesus in the form of a dove. He saw it all. He said, Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm only the best man. He said, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. That's who John was. 
That's who John the baptizer was. And everybody knew John the baptizer in Jordan in those days. But no, he's in prison. And a bit like you and me, having gone through the high experience of experiencing and knowing God's blessing, when we get the breakthrough, we get the job raise, or we find the wife of our dreams, would any of the men say amen? amen? A bit better than that, lads. Come on, walk on your amens. Here he is in prison, and something happens to him that happens to you if you were in prison. Something that happens to you when things happen that you're not expecting. John asks a strange question. So John called for his two disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Hello, John, all the things you said about Jesus, all the ways that you exalted Jesus, all the ways you continually pointed to Jesus. John was like a road sign pointing to Jesus in all the ways he spoke about Jesus. No, he suddenly has this question after pouring his life into all of this. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? What a question to ask. Should we keep looking for someone else, despite all that he said about him? Like, what has happened to John? What has happened to John? And I'll tell you what's happened to John. John was a prophet in the Old Testament sense. And when he spoke about the coming of a Messiah, he was talking about getting the jackboot of Rome off the neck of the Israelites with the coming of the Messiah. In loose translation into the cork, John said about the Messiah, he's going to sort you all out. But this Jesus wasn't sorting everyone out. Not only was he not sorting everyone out, as Tom said earlier, he was going to parties. What? John didn't drink wine at all because he wanted to. He took a Nazarite vow and he never, he never drank wine. But here's Jesus drinking wine at parties. What? And Jesus goes and eats lamb and, and has great food and, you know, and, and they call him a glutton. What? John has to eat. Locusts! Read it up, you can find it yourself. Has anybody here ever eaten locusts? I'm curious. Anybody ever eaten? Yeah, I didn't think so. You, we've won? Did you eat locusts, Mary Jane? Yeah. What did it taste like? <laughs> say chicken, just say chicken. Yeah, they taste like chicken. Somebody told me this morning that locusts taste like chocolate. I don't believe it! It's a lie from the pit of hell. I know they're trying to get us to eat insects as well. Anyway, John eats locusts. And he eats wild honey. You go, oh, I just really love my Manuka wild honey. Oh, yeah, go up the tree there and get it yourself. You can imagine John, the big hairy beard in him, and the camel's, the camel's hair caught in him, climbing up a tree to get at the, the thing, and being stung when you collected honey back in those days. You got stung. Hello, there was no smoke or no kind of, you know... And this was John's life, and Messiah's having a great time for himself, and he's very popular. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting at all, man? Like, where, where's the boom, 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 and the yada, 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 and the armies from heaven? Where is that? And so John calls some of his disciples, and he says this to them. He says, John's two disciples phone Jesus, and phone John the baptizer. I like this. They come to, John the, they come to Jesus, and they say... John the baptizer sent us to ask. Like, we're not asking. Oh no, we believe in you, like. But we're just asking for a friend, like. Are you the Messiah or like, or like, are you the Messiah or should we 
for someone else? Imagine what it would be like if you were home and your wife came in, brothers, and said, are you the husband I've been expecting or should I keep looking for someone else? Try that at home. And then you'll be glad you watched those movies where they pull the knives out from inside their own ribs. There's a time that comes in our lives, brothers and sisters, and I want to say this to you prophetically to some who are sitting in this room today. There's a time comes when you must go, when you must say, Jesus is Lord, end of. And that's the end of it. I'm not seeking, I'm not looking anymore, I'm not going to anymore. I want to follow Jesus. So they come to John, they said, John the baptizer, not us now, John the baptizer wants to know, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And, I, you know, they come and they repeat the question. When you see a question repeated, I've said it before, when you see things repeated in the Bible like this, it is God's emphasis. Pay attention to this. Why would John ask that question? Because Jesus was announcing the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God comes, people were going to be set free. And Jesus was going around the place setting people free from disease and setting them free from demons. And here's John still sitting in the jail. If the kingdom of God has come, why am I sitting in this jail? Why am I sitting here, a prisoner of Herod Antipas, if the kingdom of God has come? Why? And you may not say it out loud like that, but I've said it in my soul at times and wondered, Lord, if you're Lord of my life, why do I feel so weak? If the kingdom of God has come in my life, why am I worried? If the kingdom of God has come, why am I afraid? Why do I feel weak? Why am I in pain if the kingdom of God has come? Are you the Messiah that I, that I thought you were? Why, where's my healing? Where's my liberty? Where's my freedom? And of course it would raise questions to anybody who was expecting that Messiah. What kind of Messiah were you expecting? The one who would send his angels and present you with the easy life? That's not the way you follow Jesus. Will anyone say amen? amen? And Jesus, I love this, Jesus, they go to Jesus and they say, John the baptizer wants to know, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus said, how dare you, you doubting scoundrel, that you should ask me that question. Shame on you. That's not what Jesus said. But that's what the devil will say to you. That's what he said. Shame on you. And now your doubts become doubled up because now you're ashamed because you had doubts. And you look at other people and go, how come they're having such a breakthrough? How come that man met, a, met a, the woman of his dreams? How come that guy got a promotion? How come they've got such a fabulous house? How come he drives a marvelous car? Why don't I, I fill in your own blanks? But that's not what Jesus does. This is what Jesus happens. At that very time, I love that, they come and they have their questions. They're full of questions and full of doubts. Because that's what's really going on. It's about doubt. And I know that none of you here have ever had any doubts whatsoever in your lives about your faith or about your life experience. So let's just close in prayer. None of you have ever experienced that. Isn't that right? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases and illnesses and evil spirits and he restored the sight to many who were blind a demonstrated answer as if there was any doubt that the messiah had come and these are all from the prophet isaiah 
prophetic symbols of the coming of the Messiah himself. It is a demonstration of who Jesus is. Then he told John's disciples, go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. Don't go back to John and give him fluff. Don't go back to John and exaggerate everything. Don't go back to John and say, John, actually, no, it's all a card. Go back and tell him what you've seen and heard. Because if you tell him what you've seen and heard, he'll believe himself. And that's what I say this morning, brothers and sisters. Could I encourage you? If you meet people and they want to know about your faith, tell them what you've seen and heard. Tell them what you've seen and heard. Tell them about the people you've heard who were healed. Tell them about the people you've seen that have been healed. Tell them about you being healed if you've been healed personally. Has anybody here ever been healed physically, experienced personal physical healing from the power of God in the name of Jesus? Just really keep your hand up just for a moment. Has anybody here ever heard of someone being healed by the power of God and in the name of Jesus? If you have, will you raise your hand? Just keep your hand up. Look, I know it's very hard because it takes all of 60 seconds. But just keep your hand up for a second. Has anybody here ever seen someone be healed of sickness in the, name of, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of God. See, I've seen it personally with mine own eyes, as they say in the old King James. I've seen it. I want you to just keep your hands up. Will you put them up a little bit higher? Just right? I want you to look around and see all of these other people who have seen and heard the power of God at work. You can take your hands down now. Praise God. Praise God. You've seen it. You've heard it. You might be experiencing it right this minute and on this day, but you've seen it and you've heard it. Tell others what you have seen and what you've heard. This is what Jesus said. The blind see, the lame are dancing. Hallelujah. Those with leprosy, those who were outside and couldn't be touched, the untouchables have been touched. The deaf can now hear. The dead are raised to life. Hello, like the other day, lads. The dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. There was the evidence. That was all the evidence that they could send back to John and say, John, this is exactly what's happening. This is what's going on. And whatever John was expecting, Jesus has what they call a kicker at the end of it. He has a kicker at the end of this because he's talking about John's expectations. And this is what he says. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. What does he mean by that? What? What the, what the hell? What does that mean? The Greek word is scandalizo, from which we get the word scandal or scandalized. Blessed are those, it also means to be trapped, to, to put your foot into a trap or to be a stumbling block. Blessed are those who don't stumble because of me. Blessed are those who don't get their foot in a trap because of me, because I don't meet your expectations. Because the armies haven't come in. Because I don't fulfill the perfect look of the Messiah you thought was coming. Bless God, blesses those who don't fall away because of me. Look at the evidence, John. Look, come look and see. Look and listen and see what's going on. This is something that Jesus always did. He always responded to doubt with evidence and proof. That's what he does. Do you know what you could say if you're struggling with doubt, Lord? Will you show me evidence of your goodness this week? Would you show me evidence by giving me a breakthrough this week? Is that an okay thing to pray, do you think? Yes. And it's a good thing to pray, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. 
Jesus always had the come and see. He looked at Nathaniel and said, come and see Jesus. He didn't say, I'm going to tell you all about Philip. He says, no, come and see. And I tell you what, if people ask you, do you know that crazy church you go to where all the nutters put their hands in the air when they're praying and they're singing and, 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 the, and the preachers when they're talking, they're very kind of animated. And they're all, like, what can I, come and see. Would anyone say amen? amen? Invite them, come and see, come and see. Nathaniel said, come and see the Messiah. Thomas, when he was full of doubt, when he was full of doubt, Jesus said, come and see. Look, that's where the nails were. Put your hand in my side. Come and see. Jesus wasn't intimidated by Thomas's doubt. He's not, he's not intimidated by yours either. The Samaritans at Sychar, the woman at Sychar, Jesus met him at the well. She ran back to the village and she said, come and meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. Come and see for yourself. The angels at Bethlehem. I love when the angels of Bethlehem appear. To the, to the, to the angels of Bethlehem appear to the shepherds on the hills. They don't say, here's the good news, no lads. You're just going to have to take it on faith and take it away, okay? Like, there's a baby born in the village down there, but don't go to the village, no, okay? Just, tr just trust us. We know what we're talking about. No, they said, go. Go to the village and see for yourself, and you will find a baby there. Come and see. Come and see. And, of course, my own personal favorite is this one. The first visitors at the tomb arrive. They're gobsmacked. Their chins are hanging open. Something weird has happened at the tomb where Jesus was laid. And they say, and the angel says to them, come and see the place where he was lying. Because he's not lying there anymore. Hallelujah. He is risen. Why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? Come and see. They're invited to come in and see. And so when we see, when we listen... And we pay attention to what we've seen and what we've heard. Our difficulties actually become a little bit less difficult. Our trials become a little bit less, less trialsome. Our struggles become less. And we can say, you know what? The kingdom of God has come. Even if I don't feel it, God is still at work. Even if I don't see it right now, God is still at work. Hallelujah. Yeah. But I love Jesus' approach to John and Jesus' approach to us. By God's grace. Hallelujah. Because when, when the disciples go away, the disciples head back to tell John. And the beauty of the stories were not told how John reacted. And I guarantee you he rejoiced when he heard that news because he knew his Isaiah. And he knew that this was the good news about Jesus. He knew he was the Messiah. But as he goes away, Jesus turns to the crowd that are there with him. And he basically says, I translate it, let me tell you about John. Because Jesus loved John. Jesus knew what John was going through. Jesus knew all that John had laid down and sacrificed for him. Jesus knew that John kept going when he was hungry and when he was thirsty and when he was persecuted. He knew what John was like. Let me tell you about John. Here's what he said about him. He said, were you looking for a prophet in John? Yes, he's more than a prophet. John is the man of whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the way before you. He points to John, just as Jesus, just as John pointed to Jesus. Now Jesus is pointing to John. Just as John pointed to Jesus as an example of God's grace, Jesus points to John as an example of God's grace. Let me tell you about John. Let me tell you about John and what John went through. Let me tell you about Dennis. How Dennis has been faithful for years and years and years despite the trials and troubles and difficulties of life. Let me tell you about my servant Benjamin and the media desk this morning who has continued serving the Lord even when he was sick and when he was troubled and in trial. He still served the Lord. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about my servant Con who's become a trophy of grace despite where he has come from. Let me tell you about... Look, put in your own name. 
Because that's what Jesus would say. Put in your own name. He doesn't condemn us for our doubts and our struggles and our trials and our tribulations and our weaknesses and our worries and anxieties. He says, let me tell you about. And he finishes off this book, John. He says, I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none, none is greater than John. And yet the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. The least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. That means you are greater than John the Baptist. Amen. That's what Jesus said. I didn't make it up. I didn't say it. This is what Jesus said. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. But I want to double back and go back to what it was that John said about Jesus before his doubts assailed him, before he was in jail, before he was in Machaerus, before he was suffering at the hands of this despot, Herod Antipas. These are the things that John said about Jesus. Just a couple of small things that he said about Jesus that are worth paying attention to. He is sent by God. He speaks God's word, for God gives him his spirit without limit. Now this is the next bit that I really like. He says, the father loves the son and has put everything into his hands. Hallelujah. He's got the whole world in his hands. I sang it at the early service. I'm not singing it this one because nobody sang with me. Do you know the song? He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 He's got you and me, brother. In his hands. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Come on for the crack. He's got you and me, sister. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. You're in his hands today. You're in his hands today and anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life whatever trials whatever troubles whatever tribulations whatever difficulties whatever worries whatever anxieties come your way anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life hallelujah do you need to find your way today are you struggling today are you struggling maybe with doubts or difficulties? Maybe there's a circumstance that you go, Lord, I'm really struggling to have faith in the middle of this. I'm beginning to struggle to see a way out. Lord, would you give me faith? Would you help me, Lord, to know that I am the apple of your eye and that I am in your hands? Because what Jesus did then, he's doing now and he will do forever. Or, to quote the Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still healing. He is still opening the eyes of the blind. He is still raising the dead. He is still bringing encouragement. He is still restoring faith. He's still restoring life to people all over this planet today. Would anyone say amen? amen. And he'll restore it for you too. Would anybody say amen? Amen.